Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Community night, and, and many communities do this. It's good for 
whether someone lives in Tenafly or elsewhere, there are uh, nights out in some towns in August, which are to provide a safe haven for people to have celebration of summer. And in Tenafly, we have um, uh, next Wednesday, in fact, community night where we have people invited to come and show what's going on in the area, businesses, community activities, uh, groups that are doing spectacular things so that people who live in our community know some of the things that are going on here and can also choose to get involved. And it's great to see people, uh, many of whom you haven't seen in a while, and uh, also to see what's out there in the town. Uh, there's uh, usually music. Uh, there are people who provide uh, services of all sorts. Uh, and uh, there's food you could sample. And uh, usually the fire department uh, has free hot dogs <laughs> or some such things. And uh, it, it's really great to see everybody out there uh, interacting. Tuesday. I'm sorry. I think I said Wednesday. I meant Tuesday, by the way. Uh, next okay. Wednesday, because I, I was looking at my calendar, and I you know I have things popping up on every day. Tuesday is community night. Wednesday, uh, we have the Bergen County Freeholders take oh, awesome. their show on the road, and they will be coming to Tenafly. That is awesome. So that's kind of, what, what time will that be yeah, taking that place? Is kind of awesome. Huh? What time will that be taking place? I, I am going back to my calendar to check. If I don't check my calendar, I'm always in trouble. So they're going to be at the Tenafly High School Library uh, at 7 o'clock next Wednesday. And the freeholders are basically like a town council. They're a legislative body that operates at the county level. So when people see county police, county roads, uh, county projects, the county parks like Van Son Park in Bergen County, um, the Van Son Park Zoo, the park down in Leonia, all these parks run by that are run by the county, including a couple of, I believe, golf courses. So that's under the jurisdiction or auspices of the county freeholders. So they choose to take their meetings periodically out of Hackensack, the county seat, and meet in various towns. So Tenafly happens to be their next stop, and that will be Wednesday. So community night is Tuesday, starting Tuesday the 17th, starting at, I believe, 5 o'clock and going till 8 o'clock in the evening, right by Tenafly's Borough Hall with lots of cool stuff going on. Uh, and some of the cool stuff uh, we're involved with. And, uh, in fact, we're involved with uh, so much that we can't beat all the tables. <laughs> so what table will you be uh, uh, with at the uh, um, community night? I'm going to feel like a waiter table hopping. There are okay. so many that I would really like to be at that uh, I'll probably spend a few minutes here, there, and the next place. Because I, I know I want to spend time with the Access for All table, which you are here. chair of, a phenomenal committee. Uh, the Stigma Free Committee, which is a new committee that I want to talk about a little bit tonight. And the Historic Preservation Commission, I'll probably spend some time there. 
also at the Democrats' table and just walking around talking to people in our neighborhoods so from our community. It, it will be a full and busy evening, and I'm hoping that we don't get rain. Last year we got rained out, had to go to a yep. rain date. And what, what really was unfortunate from my point of view is the rain date. I'm a school teacher, so the rain date was on back-to-school night. So I could have gone to the regular meeting, but I couldn't go to the rain date. Well, I hope that doesn't Wait. happen uh, this year because uh, it, it took a lot of schedule juggling for me to be able to attend. So uh, um, I, I wouldn't look forward to juggling uh, the schedule to make a rain date. But anyway, we do what we must do. Uh, the Access for All Committee uh, table uh, this year will serve a dual purpose, um, and uh, it will also be representing the Ten Fly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. And, uh, oh. you know, basically uh, – uh, I'm a champion at that, so this way I could be at both at the same uh, time. We did that for the past few years, and mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're picking up the banner tomorrow, that, uh, and uh, uh, now we're working on a poster and uh, having handouts, and uh, the uh, Natural Awakenings uh, magazine publisher will be there, and we'll have free magazines, and also the folks at Charles Atlas sent uh, their retro uh, brochures, and I'm associated with them, so I'll be giving uh, two demonstrations, and then we'll be having a Body by Atlas uh, t-shirt that people can, you know, fill out a game of chance for, you know, free, uh, but we'll be doing that as well. Well, that's really neat. I'm glad to hear that that's going to be a table full of stuff. So I know where I'm going to spend time. And Good. I hope everybody else does as well. Now, tell um, me about this free table. That's a new committee. And we, you and I have talked about that many a time. Um, I wasn't on the initial committee, but they have my name. I'd like to help out in any way I can. My uh, Facebook uh, timeline page is a uh, stigma-free zone. I would uh, linked up with the stigma-free folk uh, years ago at an uh, interfaith uh, conference on mental health. And so not that we've been in constant touch, but we've been in in frequent uh, touch. And uh, that was the last thing I thought of when we uh, spoke. So uh, my page for a while had the the logo on it. Now, did you have lime green logo or not? Because that's the colors associated with it. That's excellent. It was the official logo. So so a little bit of a background. Tenafly a couple of years ago, along with, Many other towns in Bergen County and across the state of New Jersey chose to be stigma-free. And the idea behind it is that anybody of any age who has uh, emotional or mental health issues, that they should not sit there and worry about hiding it because someone will literally stigmatize them. Oh, you, you have a problem. I don't want you as a neighbor type of feeling. We want, number one, for anyone who has any emotional, mental health issues, as well as, through the ADA, the, any physical issues, challenges, that they know that they are welcome in this community. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, we, we want to make sure that we are constantly working towards ways of educating the public that the public understands. I mean, right. someone doesn't someone doesn't choose to perceive the world differently, for example. So if you have um, some sort of a a mental health problem, it may be that 
a good example. You're, you have Asperger's, and your processing is different from some other people. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. that. That's actually perfectly normal. We, we accept in sports, not everybody can run an eight-minute mile. Some people run a 15-minute mile. And we sit there and go, yeah, that's, that's life. Not everybody is physically. But we can sometimes process that better than somebody perceives the world one way and another person interprets the world a slightly different way. Different and, way. and I yeah. think part, part of the education of this is got to be that how people look, how people act, how people are, are all individual, and one way is not better, one way is not worse. They're all part of the, the fabric that makes up humanity, and we should embrace all of it. Almost as distinctly, so. as distinctly as I can put it. And uh, a lot of things influence the perception of reality, not only uh, um, physical and uh, psychological, but also cultural um, differences in reality affect us uh, very deeply. And we're very fortunate to live in a society that's very diverse in that we get exposed to different ways of looking at the world and we have more tolerance for people who may see the world uh, uh, differently. Absolutely. And, and so I think once Tenafly a couple of years ago chose, as I started to say, to become stigma-free community, now the town has gotten around to forming a committee to try and get that message across and try and figure out ways to educate the public. One, one of the things that I want to make sure happens, and, and this is uh, the same really with the Access for All, our schools tend to do a better job than the rest of society because schools, for example, in New Jersey, there's an HIV, harassment, intimidation, bullying law that you can't bully people, harass, intimidate them. Schools work hard to try and educate about physical, emotional differences. What happens is once a person reaches adulthood and they are living in a community, uh, the community either has too old to have gotten those lessons in school because those are more recent, or they've forgotten the lessons. And so we need ways of helping, especially our, our young adults and adults who are living in the community to know that if you are sitting there looking up at the sky and talking to the trees, that's okay. That's how you perceive the world. There is nothing mm -hmm. wrong with having you as a neighbor. In fact, you're probably a fascinating neighbor. <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, you know, the schools are working better to educate students about this. And, and I think that's one of the nice things about being a teacher is I'm getting to hear what happens in schools. So trying to translate that to a community. And, and you know, we want, and, and I think you made a great point about there's a great diversity of culture too. We have within our society people who, uh, for example, worship one God, they're monotheistic. There are some who are polytheistic. There are some who are atheistic or agnostic. Right. We all have different beliefs, but we need to be able to sit there and understand and respect 
those differences and embrace those differences as opposed to sitting there saying, that nah, that's bad. That's very true. I'll share a little bit about uh, my background that uh, uh, made me better understand uh, this uh, point. Uh, I'm, uh, I was born uh, here um, basically nine months after my parents got uh, married. Uh, so uh, I was born here in America, and uh, I grew up in a Greek-American uh, culture. And uh, Greek-American culture was something that was developed in, around the 1950s with uh, the waves of immigration then. And it was quite distinct from uh, Greek culture in Greece. And I went to Greece a lot when I was uh, uh, very young. And also the American culture that we were transplanted into. And uh, the Greek culture is rooted in the past, in the dim mists of legend and myth. That, uh, that proceed into this time. So you feel like almost you're part of a river that's moving through time and the majority of the river is uh, behind you. Whereas in America, it's a young country, so we're very future oriented. And uh, mm -hmm. then the Greek American culture was again, a very like 50s, 60s type of, uh, of culture. And what happened with most people is they adapted uh, to the Hellenic culture, to the Greek, to the American culture, or to the Greek American culture. And a lot of people who couldn't reconcile the contradictions in these different realities uh, suffered from schizophrenia, uh, which is uh, mm -hmm. uh, something I used to belong to an organization called GAPSI, the Greek American Behavioral Sciences Institute, back in the 70s and, and the 80s. Uh, and they studied this uh, extensively. Uh, so depending on whether I was looking at things, you know, I had a number of perspectives. And I discovered very young that culture or reality even is something that a bunch of people agree is true. And that if people yeah. make different agreements as to what is true, then you have a different reality. And uh, I'll give you an example in, in Greece. In Greece, at the time I was growing up, they believed in the evil eye. And some people still do, but Americans didn't believe in the evil eye. So when I told Americans about this uh, belief in Greece, the Greeks were superstitious. When uh, I told the Greeks about the American belief, uh, they were that Americans are stupid and spiritually blind, and that's why they can't you know, perceive. <laughs> so again, the, the, what was the reality? It was depending on uh, who you were talking to and what they choose to believe in common. So uh, I, I've always felt uh, very excited learning about different cultures and their beliefs because they offered different perspectives that weren't programmed into me. So I got to, I got to look at the world in a whole new way. And sometimes I found very valuable things in uh, uh, seeking these perspectives. Well, one of, one of the things along that line, I, with my seventh graders, we talk a lot about world cultures. And when we get to India, because most of my students are more Western culture, monotheistic. And when we get to India and they're talking about Hinduism and it's a very different mindset, I show yeah. them a clip. It's a, it's a great clip from Life of Pi where the yeah, main yeah. character in that is talking about how, how he thanks Vishnu, I think it is, for introducing him to Jesus. And he has no problem with multiple religions. Now, his family does. His family chides him for it. But he discovers uh, Jesus. He discovers Muhammad. He becomes 
for a short while a practicing Muslim, and, and he has no, no dissonance in his mind, no cognitive dissonance between believing in Hinduism and, and Vishnu, who he thanks for introducing him to these other characters, and believing in a monotheistic religion at the exact same moment. So it's a very cool way of opening up one's mind to a variety of cultural views. And it's a clip I actually recommend people find on YouTube and listen to. Now I'm going to do that after the show. I'd seen that a long time ago, but I forgot about it. It's now I need to refresh my memory and uh, re-experience it. Um, I like a lot of the uh, new age type of uh, um, spiritualities. They're not really religions, uh, but they mix up uh, elements from global myth and religion. And you have Jesus uh, uh, working with outer space beings and working with Quan Ying and working with uh, uh, the Olympians and uh, all of the uh, deities of the earth and beyond it into the solar system and other systems uh, are working together in these spiritualities to help uh, humanity with their um, uh, increase the perspective and uh, grow more mature spiritually. Uh, and I like the fact that, uh, again, even though a lot of people in these spiritualities get very upset with this uh, New Age synthesis, uh, it's a very friendly type of thing where everybody's working together toward the same goal. And uh, they just happen to focus on different cultures, uh, but uh, they're, they're all working together. And I like that better than the, you don't see the world the way I do, so I need to kill you and all your family. You know, that, that type of uh, a belief is way too prevalent on our globe at this time. Yeah, so that's what gets us back to our original topic. I mean, people need to understand that not everyone perceives the world in the same way. Not everybody has the same physicality. Some people don't perceive colors. Some people can't walk. Some people have problems with speech. Some people have a different way of processing the world around them. Some people can't read facial expressions. We have, we have such a great variety, and it's really not that different, and we need to have the same tolerance because what happens is that those who are, quote, different, and they are not different, they are just, they are themselves, but, but those who are labeled as different then tend to suffer from depression, and uh, suicide rates are higher among people who have various emotional issues or different ways of perceiving different psychological issues, different physical issues. And, and that's really, a, there should be no reason that people should be depressed over it. They should understand that they have so much to contribute to the world and just the world needs to understand how these people contribute. Very, very true. And as an educator, uh, you're very focused on this and very active in making it so in uh, the environments in which you teach. Now, hopefully. Uh, on the, by the way, sort of a plug here, because the, the Stigma Free Committee is, is promoting this. Uh, there is, for anyone interested, on October 20th, that morning at Saddle River County Park in Saddlebrook, there's an out of the darkness 
community walk. And oh, out wow. of the darkness, yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. So for people who don't know, the Out of the Darkness community walk, Out of the Darkness is something from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. It's to take people either are have committed suicide and families of people who have committed suicide, uh, people of suicidal ideations or are contemplating it, to take it out of the darkness so that people can talk about it and and try and prevent suicides from happening, especially since it's among so many young people. And there is uh, so there is a walk. Tenafly is going to be sending a group that will be walking there. And for more information, there is, I believe it's afsp.donordrive.com. Again, afsp.donordrive.com for people to look up the Bergen County Out of the Darkness Walk. They could even find the Tenafly link and sign up to either support the walk or join in the walk. So that's October 20th. I think check-in is going to be at 9 o'clock in the morning, and the walk goes from 10 to 12.30. There's an awful lot of work to be done in this area, so anything anybody can do would be tremendous. I put a link uh, to it in uh, the thread for uh, the Age of Heroes, and I also put a link to the Stigma-Free Zone News of New Jersey. Uh, So this way, folks who want to learn more, uh, if they're on Facebook, and a lot of our folks are, they could just go to um, where we're talking about the segment, and they could link onto these things directly. I can also, Hercules, I can send you, I have a link to the direct, uh, I'll send it to you later, the direct Tenafly link for the um, Out of the Darkness Community Walk that was set up by the Stigma Free Committee. I will definitely uh, post that link as well. And let me see what I'm doing on October 20th. Uh, and let me see what I can juggle around. That sounds like an awesome thing to be involved in. It, it definitely is. And on the access for all, one of the things that, that I know I've been doing on the council is looking for places where we can help make life easier. I do know that one yes. of the things we did last year is we put in two bright flashing pedestrian crossing signs, especially one near the um, Tenafly house where we have several people have difficulty crossing some of our our um, sidewalks yeah. into across Tenafly Road. And I know we put some there. We are buying two more flashing signs this year. Oh, fantastic! And and one of the things, and this actually had annoyed me, and so had a good opportunity this year. One thing that annoyed me is we have a summer concert series at Hyler Park. It's a great concert series every Tuesday night. And I noticed that nowhere, nowhere near Hyler Park was handicapped parking. Hmm. So this summer we repaved Piermont Road as a major project. And one of the things that I made sure that we put in was Handicap parking. So if anybody wants to go to those concerts, there's now handicap access parking right next to the Tenafly train station, also known as Cafe Angelique. Two spots have been reserved where none existed before so that people can access that area. I um, have to say that that's 
something that needs to be addressed in more parts of town. We will continue to look for places. And I know we had, uh, I think, talked about one by CVS that we also had been taken out and was put back in just in a different spot. That so. is awesome. And as a chairman of that committee, I would like to thank you and the Tenafly Council for uh, uh, making that so, because it's, it's very much needed, both the, the flashing lights and the uh, accessibility uh, parking the, uh, for people with disabilities. So thank you. It's, it's our pleasure. And, and I thank the police department for the flashing lights. I thank the um, Department of Public Works for making sure that when we talked about they did put the striping exactly where it should be for access. So, so what I really want is for you or any of your listeners to these podcasts, if you know places, let me know. I'm, I'm on the borough website, jgrossman at tenafly.net. I, I want to know about these things so that we can address them. That That's really, that's what we're there for. I mean, if we can't address these issues, then we should just hang up elected government and and not have it. Uh, Which I know well, will I, probably I, please somebody in Washington, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. Uh, yes, and uh, uh, I've always maintained that, uh, again, not that my experience in uh, governance or, or uh, uh, politics is uh, extensive. It really isn't. Uh, but I've always felt very fortunate uh, to be living here in Tenafly because despite the differences in opinion, um, people honestly do seem to care and to want what's best for the town. And uh, that is something I'm becoming aware of is, is not very common in most communities. So the very fact that you would say such a thing uh, shows your uh, commitment to uh, our well-being in, a, in our democratic uh, process, and I salute it. Well, thank you. I think you and I have discussed. I grew up in Tenafly, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I care a lot about the future of this town. Uh, the past is what it is. One cannot change the past, but one can mold the future. And we want this to continue to be a community where people want to move to, want to stay here. I know it's difficult for people to stay here once their children are out of school because uh, the taxes and, and certainly the new federal salt tax law, which means that you can't deduct as much of your taxes, does make it difficult for our seniors. And so we're, we're aware of that and addressing that, too. I've already let uh, several of the folks uh, on uh, uh, our council know that uh, uh, it might have been true last year that people weren't talking about the, the taxes. They were talking about the potholes. But uh, uh, people do talk to me, uh, and uh, the taxes have been covering up a, a great deal in their conversations uh, in the past uh, couple of months. Not surprising. Hopefully you're hearing less about potholes. We did have a, a program this summer to address literally thousand potholes and the DPW did a good job. I, I yes, actually they did. They were taking pictures of their repairs so that I know they were doing an incredible job. So if you're still hearing about potholes, please let me know. I um uh, I, I've one, heard a couple I hope... complaints in a while. <laughs> Excellent. 
We'll continue to have that. Unfortunately, we live in the Northeast. The Northeast gets hot, cold cycles in winter. When we get when we get ice into any crack in a road, it's going to expand it, chip away at it, and then by spring, you have potholes. Florida doesn't have this problem. They have other problems. They have hurricanes, but they don't have potholes as much in their roads. And here they've been addressed, and they're going to continue to be addressed. Uh, I will tell you what there are some concerns about that uh, people have expressed. Um, is the new system of uh, collecting the garbage uh, with okay. the arm that's coming in a year or two uh, here to Tenafly, um, it's come out as, as part of that conversation, but the issue behind it is that many folks who are disabled or elderly can no longer uh, bring their garbage, uh, the recyclable garbage, to the front of their driveways. So they've well, been calling and asking what type of assistance uh, is there for them. Well, well, my question is this. Sure. I know that. Right now, we have rear yard pickup for garbage. We have curbside for recycling. Curbside for recycling already and has for years existed in Tenafly. So are people getting assistance with the recycling, bringing their their barrels up to the curb, or, or are we just talking the rear yard garbage pickup? Um, we're talking about people having a difficult time moving the recycling to the curb consistently on the days when recyclables are being uh, picked up. And these are so mostly. How are, they, how are they doing it now? Uh, they're relying on uh, family and friends as often as possible, but it, it's not guaranteed uh, and it's not uh, steady. So uh, they're, they're asking what uh, can they possibly do? They can no longer move these things uh, to the curb uh, when uh, there's a recycle pickup. So it's still very vague. We've had two specific people, uh, I believe, uh, write emails uh, uh, about it. And I've spoken to them on to try to understand it. But they've also indicated that they know other people are experiencing this. So at some point, this is going to be you know, a bigger issue than it currently is. But um, I'd like to know how we can better address it. Well, obviously, it's something since we're, we're a year away that we will raise. We're going to have a couple of town halls, at the very least okay. one. But I'm hoping for two town halls so that we can examine all the issues. That's, that's number one. Number two, since people already are required to bring, as I say, the recyclables to the curb, and that's not actually changing, the one thing that will get easier for some people, I'm not saying for all, I understand if somebody's in a um, motorized wheelchair, for example, bring, bringing recyclables to the curb are difficult no matter what we do. But right now, the way it exists is we have these blue bins. you got to pick them up, carry right. them. The new type of barrels will be on wheels. They're Actually, the barrels are lightweight and really well-balanced. We've been talking to people in Bergenfield, especially seniors in Bergenfield, and they're all thrilled. They say they have no problem bringing the barrel to the curbside that it's a lot easier than picking something up and physically carrying it just to wheel these things. So there is that advantage. We'll pick up certain number of people who will 
benefit from this. I'm not going to say every system is perfect and that every single person will benefit and we'll have to figure out how that's being addressed, how it's being addressed currently, where they have to pick it up and bring it. How is, what are they doing now? What would have to change with something that rolls, which is actually easier to get to the curb, even even easier for neighbors to help them with. Because I, I don't know about you, but when I take paper recycling, at my ripe young age, uh, my back is not happy if I have too much paper in there. So I'm actually personally looking forward to being able to just have it in a barrel, roll the barrel out instead of carrying it, two yeah. or three blue bins out to the curb and then bring them back. Yeah, so well, I'm I, hoping... I exactly what you mean. So, so I'm hoping that in that sense it will be actually better. Um, and we will have we will better. have barrels at any of these events we do. We'll have barrels so that people can try them, see for themselves what they're like. But the feedback we're getting all over from other communities is that a lot more people are able to move these than picking up and carrying what they're doing already. So I hope that helps address some of it. It, it. It sounds like it will. And I'm looking at the clock. Our time for today is already over. I'm very sorry. I'm enjoying our conversation a great deal. And it's been a while since we've had a chance uh, uh, to talk. Uh, but I will be inviting you more frequently so uh, we can continue this uh, um, dialogue into the future. And also, um, I, I had some ideas because uh, every time that we have somebody on, uh, when we have Mark on, we have you on, uh, when uh, we have uh, the mayor on, uh, a lot of information gets uh, out there uh, you know, to our listeners uh, not everyone can attend the mayor and council meetings. I'd love to attend more often right now, but uh, can't uh, because of uh, these podcasts. And uh, also, uh, not everyone watches the televised uh, um, the televised proceedings uh, on uh, local uh, cable. So I was thinking right. of. Uh, as adding to awareness and raising awareness, uh, having a very short segment uh, uh, at least once a month to just talk about all the wonderful things that have happened in Tenafly. And uh, I'm inspired by the host of our next uh, segment, Astrid, uh, who uh, lists all the positive things happening in uh, Sussex County. So I'd oh, love wow. to more about uh, what's happening in Bergen and also in uh, Tenafly. And uh, Astrid and I have uh, talked about our experiences of this. And the more you focus on the positive things that the people are doing, uh, you see, first, first of all, that you can't even grasp all the wonderful things that are happening. There's too many of them to keep track of, even in your uh, county. And, uh, and now you're no longer focusing on the negative things. So your day, actually, your reality becomes better because you're spending most of your time focusing on you know, positive, empowering, and helpful things and needed things rather than what's wrong with the world. I love that. I would be more than happy to talk about the positives and also – to talk about how the negatives are not always so bad or explain why there are negatives. I think sometimes people, and I think sometimes even those of us on the council have a hard time understanding why some of the negative things happen. 
and and ultimately we can begin to explain that. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jeff. How can folks get in contact with you? They can contact me at jgrossman at tenafly.net. And Hercules, as always, thank you very much for having me on. I do encourage people to come to community night in Tenafly, even if you're not from Tenafly, come to community night in our town. It's downtown by the Borough Hall uh, from 5 to 8, I believe, next Tuesday night. And definitely visit the Access for All table and the Stigma Free Committee table, two excellent things that are going on in our town. Thank you again and have an awesome evening and an awesome rest of the week. Thank you. You too, Hercules. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Um, we're going to listen to Brang Tridorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with Astrid and the Sussex Report. Tonight, her guest is King James from the Sparta Renaissance Fair.
And welcome back to the Elysium Project. Our next segment is the Sussex Report, hosted by Astrid, and today her guest is King James. I'm really looking forward to this. Greetings. Hello. I would love to start this segment by reading part of your Olympian mission, Hercules. And it says here... My Olympian mission is to promote lifelong personal development, human empowerment, out-of-the-box thinking, creative self-expression, and a dedication of one's unique talents to community service. And Hercules, you have found your equal with James Kimball. Yes, the founder and king of the Sparta, New Jersey Renaissance Festival. Welcome, James. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I have to say, I uh, attended the Renaissance Festival this past Sunday. And how you manage to develop and bring forth this project to a new place each year totally amazes me. It gets better every year. Uh, Thanks, appreciate it. Well, it's an amazing undertaking, and with that, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background, uh, your history being involved with the uh, Night Realms, and how that found its way to become the Sparta, New Jersey Renaissance Festival. Okay, great. Well, um, I've been running this other business called Night Realms, and that's been going on for about... I want to say about 21, 22 years now. And um, yeah, it's basically a, um, it's kind of like an improvisational uh, acting uh, activity where the, uh, where the uh, audience are actually not the audience, but the audience are actually the participants instead. Uh, And so what what, the way it works is I have a team of writers who will write a fiction, a fantasy story every month. And then about 100 to 200 people come. They pay to dress up in a costume and take on a fantasy persona, you know, something in the ra- in the kind of the realm of the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, that kind of uh, medieval fantasy type style. And so they spend a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday straight all throughout the night um, and, and day playing out that character in the fantasy story we write for them. And they can change the story based on their actions, and we'll rewrite the story in the middle of the weekends, uh, weekend based on their actions. And um, it's just a really fun, interactive, immersive uh, experience. <clears throat> and we, like I said, we've been doing it for about 20-something years now. I used to rent campgrounds um, from Pennsylvania, from New Jersey. Uh, and then about nine years ago, um, uh, an opportunity came up where a Girl Scout camp in New Jersey called Camp Sacagawea was being sold. 
Uh, and so I, I purchased it, and this was no easy test. This was a very every possible conceivable um, monkey wrench was thrown into works. Every every hurdle was put in front of us. Every immovable rock was placed in our way, and somehow, miraculously, one by one by one, all of these things just disappeared, and we somehow managed to make it through them all, and we were able to purchase this 200-acre property in Sussex County. It's beautiful. It's got a giant lake uh, called White Lake. Um, It's got buildings, utilities, uh, beautiful trails, beautiful clearings. Uh, it's just a, a absolutely beautiful piece of property. And um, like I said, every possible hurdle was thrown at us, and somehow every, every all the stars aligned perfectly uh, to just bring us what we were trying to get, which was to purchase this campground. And uh, we, we got it, and uh, for the last nine years, we've been working on it. Um, I've always, it became a permanent home to Night Realms, which is the the fantasy game that I run. And so we immediately started um, fixing it up to make it look more like a Renaissance medieval um, kind of place. We built a really nice medieval looking bar room and inn hall and other buildings. And um, about, uh, uh, for the entire time that we had it, I've always wanted to run a Renaissance festival. Uh, but starting and running a Renaissance festival is a very large undertaking. Uh, my uh, fiance at the time, about let's say about three years ago, um, I was talking to my fiance about uh, getting married, and we just figured out that having a wedding is a very labor-intensive, very uh, very large to-do project. And also, starting a Renaissance festival is also a very labor-intensive, very um, very intensive project. And so I, so three years ago, I presented her, I said, well, we could either get married this year or we could start a Renaissance festival. Which do you want to do? And she <laughs> said, yeah. And she said, why don't we do both at the same time? <laughs> and I paused for a second because, you know, first of all, that just sounds way too good to be true. So I made sure she was certain she wanted to do that. Um, and when she said yes, you know, I definitely didn't look back from that point on. And we wrote a story uh, where basically the king and the queen were getting married, and it was the reason for this festival. Uh, we were—I actually was never intending to play the king of the Renaissance Festival. I was just going to run it behind the scenes um, as you know, an administrator or something. Uh, even though I do have a lot of uh, you know acting experience and, and all the stuff that I've done before. Uh, but then because we got married and because it made so much sense for the story to be, you know, the king and queen is getting married and therefore our wedding was actually part of the show uh, for the first year. So for the first year, the main show was basically our wedding um, and we build it as such and we advertised it as such and everybody came out and uh, they, you know, our wedding was attended by, you know, countless hundreds and you know or or maybe even a thousand or so strangers that we don't know and our friends and family as well were there obviously um but yeah we uh, uh because of that we decided to do the king and the queen thing and so we've been doing that for the last three years now uh the renfer itself has been uh every single year we've been putting a ton of work into it and it's been getting better and better uh each passing year 
Almost, definitely. Now, can you talk a little bit, James, about the first year? Because that was just one weekend, and I remember going to that. I mean, we were all so excited, you know, the group from the Meditation Center at the Amber mm-hmm. Dragon. And yep. when we went there, we were awestruck because this was an unbelievable location. It was not what the Renaissance Fair in Tuxedo, New York, is and was in the sense that it's basically macadam and buildings there and you're basically doing a loop. This is like such an experience at that campground. There's a large area and there's so many different sites and it all flows perfectly in terms of from one location to another. And incidentally, I have to say, Misha's voice, her family, now was that planned to incorporate her unbelievable skills, her, her sisters, and uh, the daughter's skills in terms of opera singing and Celtic ballads. I'm, I'm mesmerized every time I hear them. Yeah, she, um, her sister is a trained uh, opera singer, and um, she's always wanted to have her sister sing at her wedding. Uh, so uh, we flew, uh, they, they actually are from California or out, uh, out west, and so we flew uh, her sister and her niece uh, down, and we wrote them in as part of the entertainment <clears throat> because that's you know what what uh, Misha wanted to do, uh, and they were also thrilled to death to to join the entertainment as well. And um, yeah, the, uh, uh, the her niece is uh, you know a very beautiful singer as well, and you know they they've been a great hit uh, just this last weekend. Uh, Misha was telling me a story where there was one lady who was sitting all by herself, sitting on one of the hay bales in between the jousting show and the Queen's Pavilion where they perform. And she walked over and she said, hey, I see you're sitting here all by yourself for such a long time. Can I get you anything? Do you need anything? You know, and she said, no, I just come here to listen to, uh, you know, your, uh, your sister and niece sing and then watch the jousting show. She she keep she just stays in one spot and alternates from one show to the next in, in that area. Um, but as far as, is, is like one weekend and the such, it was one weekend the first year and man, were we lucky. Uh, we were really blessed to have perfect weather on that one weekend. Um, it could have been, it could have been anything. It could have been bad weather. It could have been a lot of rain, uh, not only on our wedding, but also on the inaugural push of the Sparta, New Jersey Renaissance Festival. Um, and so we really did end up being blessed and getting tremendously great weather on that weekend. Um, but what I had kind of figured out for the next weekend was uh, because we we're so lucky, you know, we need to immediately move to two weekends so that, uh, it increases our chance of success in, in the in the event of uh, bad weather. Because if we ran for only one weekend and we had bad weather, it pr- probably would have ended there, uh, or possibly would have ended there, um, because there wouldn't have been anything else to kind of re- another good weekend uh, to redeem it or so. Mm, true. Now year two, you did expand to two weekends. You did have one weekend with rain. How did you cope with that? What did you learn with that episode? And what changes did you make to compensate for it? I I tell you, um, I'm glad you asked me that because that's a a big thing that I talk about actually a lot when when I'm talking to friends and and people about the Renaissance Festival. Um, 
it was it, to, to have any kind of festival where it rains, uh, it really could put a damper on things. Uh, <clears throat> attendance usually takes a hit. Um, and that brings down the spirits of the vendors who are there to try to, you know, generate some revenue that they need. Um, uh, and just about everybody. So we had never, uh, like I said, we expanded it two weekends specifically, uh, because I knew we were, we lucked out so much. And we also, uh, by the way, we also did really well on our first weekend. On our first weekend, we filled all of our parking lots. We filled, we started filling our overflow parking lot, which is the Votech school right next door to us. Um, and so we did so well and we had such great weather. We expanded to two weekends. Um, and when we got to that second year, we certainly indeed that first weekend, it was the first Saturday, uh, was very overcast and a little drizzly and it had the threat of rain, um, the whole day. And so that probably scared some people off. It wasn't terrible though, that Sunday was just rain it was just um it was definitely one of those you wake up in the morning you look out the window you hear the rain you see the gloominess and your you know your heart kind of sinks into the pit of your stomach thinking "Ooh, you know what, what are we going to do and so we had never dealt with that before uh and this was our first time so at first i had gotten up and i had uh called my property manager and asked him to cancel a couple of things that we would otherwise be paying for that we were, that we would likely not need like extra uh, extra local police and stuff like that that we had um, the year before uh, the shuttle bus driver certain things that we just knew we weren't going to be paying you know that we weren't going to need but we would be paying for if we didn't cancel um, so then I got up and I went outside and I started walking around the fairgrounds and um, some of the vendors are putting together their tents and they're looking kind of dejected and um they're, you know, they they kind of keep asking me, like, well, what are we going to do? Are we are we going to close? Are we are we going to stay open? What are we going to do? And it dawned on me, like that point, that if I was going to feed into that kind of gloom um, mentality, it was just going to spread. Uh, so instead, what I did was did the exact opposite of that. And immediately turned to them. I said, hey, this isn't so bad. Like, this is actually pretty good. The Renfair people come out in bad weather anyway. It'll be fine. It'll clear up. Not a big deal. You know, kept a really big smile on my face. Don't worry about it. We'll keep going. Uh, I immediately then talked to all the rest of our staff and volunteers and told them, look, you know, we have got to have the most biggest smiles on our faces right now. We have got to be as positive and as cheerful as we possibly can because whatever we're going to be, um, projecting to people is what they're going to be feeling. So if we're feeling kind of gloomy and dejected, that's going to seep off of us onto the vendors, onto the entertainers, onto the few patrons who come. Uh, whereas if instead we're very uplifting, positive, and upbeat, that's going to make them feel better, make the vendors feel better, make everybody around feel better, make the patrons that do come, um, you know, feel happier that they're around a bunch of happy, you know, people and not a bunch of um, you know, people just kind of soaking in, 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 in rain. Um, so that's what we did. And it, it ended up being uh, really not that bad, uh, despite the rain. Certainly attendance was lower because it was pretty bad rain. Um, but let me tell you, those few patrons that were there – they were treated like royalty, like they were the king and queen. Um, <laughs> they got, yeah, they got treated. Uh, I remember one of the joust, the the very last jousting show of the day. 
there were only two people in the uh, two or three people in the hay bales, uh, you know, watch in the audience watching the um, the show, and we. The jousting company is a good professional jousting company. They're going to do whatever they need to do, even if there's only one person out there. Uh, and so they're getting, they're starting their show. And I realized, you know, all of us royal court members, the the cast, we're all sitting there behind the the jousting ring. And you know, I say, you know, in my kingly voice, I I order the the guy over the two people out in the audience to come up here and sit in the king's king and queen chair, and then I send all <laughs> of my I send all of my knights and ladies uh, uh, out to the stands to cheer on the um, cheer on the uh, the jousters while the couple of patrons got treated like royalty at the royalty box, and we just all had a a lot of fun with it and the the justin company had fun with it we had fun with it the 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 handful of patrons that were there felt like you know like they were the most special people in the world and um you know it was a a really good learning experience um certainly we hope for the best of weather but whenever there is uh you know gloomy weather the the answer is to be as uplifting and as upbeat and to keep as much of a positive attitude as you possibly can project because everybody else that is around you is going to be affected by the way that you feel. Almost definitely. And I'm yeah. always amazed at, at the quality of the vendors. It's more, it's, it's not so much a store representation of material. These are true artisans you have found. So the leather worker is a fine leather worker. A ceramist is top drawer. I mean, how did you find these people? Because very often when you go to any type of fair, and uh, the day prior I went to the Chester Fair, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the largest craft fair in New Jersey. Yeah. I went specifically to see a particular artist, Dakota Moon, who makes unbelievable pieces of jewelry, very celestial, mm-hmm. uh, using all kinds of very fine materials because I haven't seen her at the Sussex County Fair anymore. So I made it my business to go see her. And I think, James, what you're saying is like, doesn't matter the distance, the weather, when something is that good and that unique, people will travel. So I did travel to go see her, and I was disappointed with most of the show because they were not true artisans or crafters. You know, there was just someone that did it as a hobby, and it was very obvious. Whereas with your festival, I did not see one vendor there, and I don't want to call them a vendor. I didn't see one artist there whose work fell below par, was like not that top-level work. So really, kudos to you for finding these people. Thanks. Yeah, I I wish I could say that I've got some sort of special formula, but I really don't. It's really just uh, we did a lot of legwork in the beginning. The first year I just spent um, – part of it was I I went went around from fair to fair, from festival to festival, any kind that that is around a street festival, um, other Renaissance festivals, uh, searches on the Internet, um, just for – and I had sort of been planning uh, this for a couple of years. And so I had done some searching around prior to that as well. Um, but, you know, once, once I started finding a handful of uh, really good vendors uh, and crafters and uh, artisans, um, somehow, somehow just others that uh, I guess caught word of it and just started contacting me to some degree. Um, 
I know uh, uh, like a handful of our great artisans I definitely searched for and found, but a, a good deal of them um, also just kind of somehow found me, and I'm not even entirely sure how. Um, I think uh, like our blacksmith I knew about and or our main blacksmith I knew about, and I uh, reached out and contacted him. Um, I, I believe our, our main uh, pottery person, um, she reached out to me somehow, and I don't, I don't even remember the, how, um, but it kind of it helps to reinforce a, a concept to me, uh, which is good people attract good things, and um, you know, just goodness and like high quality just generally attracts high quality. Um, and so maybe I could just chalk it up to that. Uh, but we definitely, we definitely have a lot of great high quality artisans, um, and crafters. And, uh, I wish I could say there's some magical formula, but I, I, you know, whether I was lucky or they were attracted to us or whether we just put in the, the legwork, somehow we ended up with them all. And yeah, we've got a, a great, a great lineup of vendors and crafters. Most definitely, James. And I heard it over <laughs> and over, you know, being uh, one who was wandering about <laughs> for several hours that day, I, people say, wow, there's such a variety of, of artisans yeah. here, and each one yeah. has such quality. I mean, you yeah. just wanted to buy something from everyone, but uh, and also the activities that you have were very varied. So if you could yeah. talk a little bit about the different activities that were present, and I must say you had activities from the for people that were very young, the youngsters, all the way up to uh, geriatrics. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the activities. Sure. Um, in the very beginning, in year one, uh, we just tried to th- we tried our best to think of a couple of things that people could uh, do in addition to uh, walking around and shopping at vendors, and, uh, watching shows, and so we built an archery range and we did archery. Um, and uh, for the first year, that was our main thing. We also did, had a few paddle boats and we did paddle boats. Um, and I believe the first year uh, that might have been. Uh, you know, I don't recall if we had anything else the first. We had fairies that would run around and play with the kids and put them on the scavenger hunts uh, and the such. And the second year, it really um, blew up in a good way. And the second year, um, a whole sort of things got attracted to us. And we, um, we expanded the archery to also be axe throwing as well. So we had an axe throwing and, and archery range. Um, we also decided, well, since we're not getting married any, since the wedding is no longer a thing, the, the beautiful barge that we had built for the queen to come across on the lake, uh, the, uh, the previous year for the wedding wasn't being used. So why don't we use the barge to give rides out on the lake? Uh, and so that was another thing that we, um, ended up doing. Um, and then we ended up also starting something very interactive called guilds. Uh, and so we did something called the rogue, the rogues guild last year. And basically it's an interactive experience where you go to the rogues guild and there's a bunch of different hands on things you could do. We have all these little old medieval locks and old medieval lock picks. And you could sit there and try to pick one of the locks and, and open it up. We also have, um, puzzles like wooden old wooden puzzles that you could try to undo and and, uh, solve and then um, we also had some kind of like riddles and um, kind of word word puzzles and such and we also had something where we tied uh, ribbons to myself 
and the royal court. And so the patrons were encouraged to go find us, distract us, and then slip the ribbon off of our belt loops and go back to the rope skills with it. And basically, anytime anybody did any of these things, they would get points to join the rogues guild. And um, so they would, throughout the day, they would do all these different types of activities. And then they would, uh, at the end of the day, join and become a member of the guild. Um, And so that was a humongous hit. It was a humongous hit last year. Um, People just loved it to death. We also had uh, a mermaid that joined us last year. Uh, in addition to, and so she would swim around in the lake and uh, swim, swim, swim up to the shore and talk to the kids. Uh, we expanded our children's um, area to be, you know, a little bit more than, than what it was before. Our children's area is, is really, really good. Um, and so then this, this year, the third year, we've done a few more things on top of everything else. We also added a new guild called the Mages Guild. And so that that has some activities like wand making. So uh, basically you can sit down with these free materials and make your own uh, kind of magic wand. And uh, there's also, we, we actually ha- uh, created an escape room uh, and this escape room is fantastic. I had, I had never done an escape room myself before they convinced me to run an escape room here. And so mm-hmm. they took me on one and I was like, yeah, this is pretty fun. And so they built this escape room and it is so fun and so atmospheric. The theme is you're going into a little witch's house to, to um, uh, get a ring that the witch is using, trying to use to curse, the, to put a curse on the King. Uh, and so they have a 25 minute window when the witch is, leaves the house to go in there and solve all the puzzles and finish the escape room. And that was a huge hit last year. Uh, or um, Yeah, uh, oh, not last year, last weekend. That was a huge uh, hit last weekend. Um, on, so those are all the different, uh, or those are most of all the different activities. Oh, and we also add, added spear throwing this year to the axe throwing range. So, so at the <laughs> axe throwing range, you could throw axes or spears. And so the spears are pretty cool. Um, but those are most of the activities I could think off the top of my head. And yeah, there's a, a wide range and there's, a lot of things that are good for uh, kids and adults. Um, But we're definitely a very kid-friendly fair. And um, we also have a, I think that's right, one of, we have a group called Band of the Hawk and they're doing like a squire training where the kids come and they give them foam swords and they teach them how to sword fight with uh, fake foam swords. And that's a lot of fun. Um, Oh, most definitely. I I caught a bit of that and actually some interactions there. The clothing, uh, you want to talk about like true to the period, the clothing Mm. is magnificent. And you had a section with weaponry that was just, I mean, it was just amazing. It really was. Yeah, yeah, costuming is really good. Uh, All of our um, actors are are usually uh, costumed very well. Um, a lot of patrons also come, some of them come dressed up. Some of them are people who used, who normally go to Renaissance festivals. Some of them are people who don't, and but they are looking for uh, an excuse to dress up because it's fun. Um, and there, But there's also plenty of people who come who don't dress up as well. So, you know, there's a wide variety of options to somebody who wants to come to a, a uh, Renaissance festival. Um, one One big attraction we built this year... Um, which was very interesting, um, is about two months ago, I decided, uh, I wasn't sure what my direction was, uh, wasn't sure what, what my direction was on the, um, on the fair for this year. And so 
I've always wanted, we have a 120 foot by 120 foot basketball court on the camp. And it's kind of an eyesore because, well, it, it is tucked away in the woods. So you generally don't see it. Uh, but in a medieval fantasy camp, if you will, or um, fairground, there's not really much of a use for a giant basketball court. And so we've been trying to figure out what to do with this basketball court. And for the last nine years since I've owned the place, I've wanted to turn it into a castle. Now, that is a ridiculously uh, ambitious-sounding project. Uh, very, very expensive-sounding, very, very time-consuming. So because of that, we haven't actually done anything up until two months ago. So two months ago, I said to myself, well, how do we actually make this daunting project happen? And then the thought came to me, let's do it a little bit at a time. And so uh, we came up with a story about the enchanted hidden castle. And so it basically, we were, uh, I basically built 40 feet of this castle wall. Uh, and I didn't build it like most Renaissance festivals, get some wood and paint the wood with stone or pink foam and carve it and paint it. Um, we used real materials, um, you know, realistically as well as we could. We have stone walls all over the camp that are buried in the woods, and so we just dragged all the stones out. And I had a giant eight. I had my property manager build a giant eight, uh, a giant um, frame uh, using eight by eight, uh, eight by eight beams. And um, and he also built me giant castle doors that look wonderful. And so uh, within the the framework, I stacked the giant stones but that we I stretched all over the camp to get. And so the bottom half of the castle is stone and the top half of the castle is wood uh, and the doors are wood uh, and the doors are beautiful. Like they really look like a castle door. Um, I'm not sure if you got a chance to, to look at it while you were here or not. Uh, last I, I actually did not and I'm coming oh. back this weekend oh. because oh, there, you have so okay. many excellent areas and I hit yeah. most of them but that yeah. is one I didn't. Yeah, so so it, it's it's only a facade for now, and so um, you go in, and an actor tells you about the enchanted castle and tells you the story, and then um, it it also acts as a photo op. So we have a throne there, and so he tells the story, and then he asks them if they want to sit in the throne and take a picture in front of the castle, and then he'll take their their camera and take a picture of them for them, um, and then it's also interactive with the kids, the kids from the Mages Guild. Um, are given a scroll to deliver to to the uh, guy at the castle who then gives them back something to bring back to the Mages Guild. And so we try to like incorporate as many interactive, fun things as we can, uh, especially for the children. And this was chapter one of The Hidden Castle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> next year, every, to every, be every, continued, James. Yeah, <laughs> yes, every, every, yeah, every year that goes by, we'll, we'll build time. more and more. Yeah, we have a few more minutes. We have a couple more minutes, and this has been phenomenally fascinating, so I'm looking forward to part two. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I do want to finish with James mentioning that there are different areas. There's a queen's pavilion, a fairy pulpit, a crow's nest, the airy, the tavern. You have um, activities at the beach. You have the bands of the Hawk Black Powder demos <laughs> with these explosions going off. And um, I know that it says here on Saturdays the patrons are welcome to stay after in the Crow's Nest area to take part in their after dark fire show about until 10. But uh, more than that, I'd like to know how people can get in touch with you so Hercules can put it on his site and what to expect this following, this coming weekend. 
Okay, excellent. Uh, if you go to the website, www.spartanjrenfair.com, uh, you'll be able to get us, uh, pretty much all the information is on our website. We're also on Facebook. If you look up on Facebook, Sparta NJ Renfair, you should be able to find us. Um, yeah, and uh, all the information is online on the on our Facebook, on our website. Um, it's usually the, the best. And we have contact information on there as well. Um, but generally, you could purchase your tickets up until Friday midday, and you'll get a discount if you purchase them online. Or if you miss that window, you can also purchase them at the gate easily enough. That's great. And you have been a, a delightful interview. Uh, you were as charming in person as you are running around in the, on the fairgrounds. And as Hercules said, I'm sure he will have you on again. Hercules has posted your information from last week, and he did it. And now he has additional information related to the festival and also to your Knights Realm, if anyone's interested in that as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Hercules, anything to add? Uh, no, I'm just amazed. And uh, even though I uh, pride myself on thinking big, you've made me think even bigger. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I thank you for that. And thank you, Astrid, for another wonderful show. Oh, my pleasure. It is always wonderful to have an on-air discussion with someone who is doing something so creative and awe-inspiring for the county. And uh, you do it for all of us, Hercules, and I have to say, James is doing it with this Renaissance Renaissance Festival up here in Sparta. And you do it, Astrid, all the time. So the more of us, uh, the better the world will be. A happier and creative place. And uh, now, in honor of Astrid and King James, we will play Dave the Bard's Merlin Am I. And then we will return with Bill Waitman. And I am...
And welcome back to the Elysium Project. Today our show is the Path of Public Service. And uh, I just want to remind everybody before we go to our next segment that this coming Tuesday, the 17th, is the Tenfly uh, Community Night. 
And uh, if you live in Tenafly or near Tenafly or can get to Tenafly or are passing through Tenafly, you're more than welcome to attend. I will be there and I will be manning the uh, table uh, that lets you know what the Access for All Committee is doing. I'm the chairman of the Access for All Committee in uh, Tenafly, and I'm also the champion of the Tenafly Mayor's Wellness Campaign. So I'll have information on that. Uh, Jerry Hocheck, who is the publisher of uh, the Natural Awakenings magazine for Northern New Jersey, will be there, and he'll have free uh, issues of the magazine to give away. And uh, I'm also involved with the Charles Atlas Company. So there'll be plenty of uh, retro Charles Atlas flyers. And uh, I'll be showing you some uh, exercises uh, where you don't need weights to build muscles. And uh, we will be raffling off a Body by Atlas t-shirt. And in addition to that, uh, our uh, governors and our community leaders and our educators and uh, uh, all the awesome people in Tenafly will be dropping by and moving around so you get a chance to meet everybody and see what they do and become a greater part of our community. Now, many of you have uh, heard the expression, the age of heroes used in this show. And uh, my segment on the path of public service is called Age of Heroes. And uh, let me explain, for those of you who don't know what that is, what that is. Now, the way of the hero posits that one must utilize one's individual strengths to make one's world a better place. One need not be perfect or operating from ideal circumstances either. Are not the heroes that inspire us often tragically flawed? Are their lives not in a state of flux and full of uncertainty? Does this prevent them from attempting and accomplishing great things? Our Age of Hero initiatives have harnessed the creative energy and focused the attention of many heroic individuals with radically diverse backgrounds over the years, directing it towards improving the collective quality of human life. The Age of Heroes welcomes secular, intrafaith, and interfaith participation. As with the Argonaut expedition of old, the children of different and sometimes warring gods are invited to partner with exceptional mortals to face great challenges and accomplish great things. In the early dawn of this new millennium, roughly from 2000 to 2005, I partnered with individuals and organizations to stem the tide of the ever-growing digital divide in New York City. Our collective efforts led to Free Computer Drop-In Center uh, in downtown Brooklyn and an innovative intern-extern volunteer program called New Shores. Our adventures were chronicled through the e-radio show Navigating the Digital Divide, a comic strip published in Big News, a few cliffhanger tales on Psych Journey, presentations at conferences, and an Age of Heroes special episode in the third season of my fringe TV show. From 2005 to 2014, the focus was much narrower. I championed literacy, functional literacy, vocational literacy, cultural literacy, informational literacy, digital literacy, multicultural literacy, environmental literacy, you get the point, in rural northeastern Pennsylvania and northwestern New Jersey through my individual efforts in partnership with my lovely wife, Athena Victory, and through our mythic 501C. Uh, this initiative lasted from roughly 2007 to 2013. 
uh, and uh, we cooperated and coordinated endeavors with local individuals and organizations, media, and our website chronicled those particular adventures. Now that our sojourn has returned us to northeastern New Jersey and the greater New York metropolitan area, I'm inspired to dedicate myself to actualizing the ultimate dream, manifesting Elysium in the here and now. Elysium is the highest heaven the mortal mind can conceive, and the Elysium Project is our current quest. You're welcome to join it. And now, without much further ado, I will introduce Bill Waitman. Bill was one of my mythic mentors and inspirations. Uh, he has been serving the American public through uh, labor and workforce initiatives and statistical initiatives uh, and many other initiatives. He's well-versed in uh, politics uh, and uh, very many topics, and he still amazes me. So uh, welcome, Bill Waitman. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Uh, I good guess to my, talk to you, too. It's a pleasure. My guest, uh, I guess, took off for Brazil or someplace. Uh, I guess he didn't like to. <laughs> it's sad because he's retiring from Ramapo uh, State. He's uh, He ran for office as a uh, a senator and governor, both in the Republican and the Libertarian Party. And I wanted to get his views today that what happened uh, with uh, the administration and uh, in the Senate on uh, some proposals, uh, which will greatly impact low-income uh, homeowners and those seeking to buy homes. Uh, it's, it's sad that I don't, I don't know why he didn't come on. He would have had a different uh, thing than me. We'll invite him back another day. You're very well-versed on the topic, and uh, I would love to hear your views on it. Well, you know, I, the, the Fed is uh, – he called the uh, the people on the Fed uh, all boneheads today, the president. And a lot of uh, senators across the aisle called him a bonehead. Uh, you know, the Fed uh, was created around 1913, and basically it was put out there to – conduct the nation's monetary policy and it, uh, provide and, and maintain an effective and efficient payment system and overall supervise and regulate banking operations, our banks across the country. And uh, I'm just trying to be informative here, but the uh, Federal Reserve System, which is the Fed, has 12 districts, each served by independently chartered regional banks. Wow. Um, the banks, uh, these banks are in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, Kansas City, Minneapolis, New York, Philadelphia, Richmond, uh, St. Louis, and San Francisco. There are also 25 branch offices within the, within the 12 districts. Um, it, it, you know, um, for each, there's a board of governors uh, of seven members who are appointed to 14-year terms. Uh, one of the questions I would have asked him, they're appointed by the President of, of the United States and confirmed by the Senate. 14 years is a long time. That is a long time, Senate. yes. Uh, and one of the questions I would have is, uh, uh, do other people they have to submit their resignations when they come on, or I, I don't actually have a, an answer on that. But the, the board conducts monetary po policy for the country. It issues regulations under federal consumer credit programs uh, to protect the public. And it has a broad responsibility for the U.S. payment systems. And it's a lot of gobbledygook and the activities of various uh, board organizations. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, I, I think that what we're going to see 
today uh, was that the president is upset that the Fed chair will not lower interest to 0%. And there are reasons for that. He, the Fed chair sees, I don't I forgot his name. I was again, I wish he was here. The Fed chair uh, sees that actually hurting the economy. Uh, it's not a wise investment. I think that Murray Sabrin would disagree with me. Uh, and okay. you know, <laughs> but uh, uh, they're pushing around things like, you remember Fannie Mae and the uh, uh, Freddie Mac. Uh, and Freddie Mac. Uh, they want to, uh, the guy that's uh, the Treasury Secretary wants to get into that system. And he wants to borrow money hand, hand and left uh, from, uh, you know, those two uh, housing programs. Which, which were reformed by Obama, or at least he tried to reform them, because there was too much, if you remember, big banks were too big to fail, was the thought, but they did fail. And there was a lot of, uh, the American public uh, basically got conned in some ways, uh, and uh, it looks like the president now wants to go back and change the, uh, you know, change the, um, hold on, uh, Hercules. Sure. Oh, God, he doesn't know the number. Oh, shoot. Hold on. Okay. We'll How about I'll play a song, and you, you can talk with him, and then okay. we'll start uh, again after that. Sounds good. Okay. We are going to listen to another song by Dave the Bard, and uh, I haven't heard this one, but uh, it's called Only Human.
people kill people in the name of their God. A bomb for a father, a bullet for a son, and a smile for a child that carries a gun. Only one God can be right when all's said and done. It's only human It's only human It's only and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I am Hercules Invictus, and we are on tonight with Bill Waitman, for, who has his eye on northern New Jersey. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? Hey, how you doing again? Uh, he, he, he has the number. And, you know, I give the number out all the time. There, there he is. He, <laughs> he's, he's with there. us, so we will uh, invite to our show Murray Sabrin. Greetings. Hi, Murray here. Fantastic. I will let you and Bill uh, have your conversation. I'll be here uh, listening in, in case you need me. Thank you so much. Hey, Murray. I, I, Hi, I Bill. How are you? Going, uh, very good. Uh, we had a misconnect, but uh, I will first want to honor and mention that uh, you're retiring from uh, Ramapo State after 35 years, and uh, that uh, one of the things you did is you created an institute there, I guess, for what, finance? Or economics. It's called the Sabrin Center for Free Enterprise, and we give out several scholarships a year to students so they can um, uh, become better uh, business analysts and uh, business executives uh, when they leave by um, embracing the principles that help build this country, namely the principles of free enterprise, which is nothing more than voluntary exchange between peoples and companies and peoples, and uh, this way. Uh, this is how we create higher living standards for everybody, and that's been the story of America, which uh, I take uh, our students through in my financial history of the United States course, uh, starting with the foundation of what a free market economy is all about, and uh, show how we how we are prone to these financial crises because of bad monetary policy that's been going on for uh, more than 200 years, and uh, the, the crises, as we know, as we lived through them the last 40 years, have intensified with the housing bubble, and uh, uh, and we're gonna and we're in the middle of uh, finishing up this another bubble that uh, that uh, has taken place for the past 10 years, and uh, this one could be even uglier than the past than the last one. I, I, I know that the uh, both the Republicans in the Senate uh, and the Democrats in the Senate today. Uh, we're really fighting. I know the president uh, called the Fed chair and I guess some others are boneless, boneheads or, or something along those lines. Um, what's your take on that? Well, uh, I, this is why I wrote this book on sabbatical two years ago, uh, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. It's, not a, it's a very technical term in finance. Uh, it's, subtitled, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's subtitled, It Causes uh, Inflation, Recessions, bubbles and enriches the 1%. And what I do in the book is I go through the testimony of Greenspan and Bernanke during the uh, uh, dot-com mm-hmm. bubble and the housing bubble, 
and show that they did not understand what was going on, that their policies uh, were creating these bubbles in the, um, in the high-tech area in the 1990s that burst in the 2000s. And then um, uh, uh, Greenspan continued the bubbles after the dot-com bubble burst by creating a housing bubble, and, uh, and, and Bernanke continued it when he became Fed chairman in 2006. And then I went through the, uh, uh, the prominent economists uh, during this era and what they were saying about the bubbles, and most of them were clueless except the economists of the Austrian School of Economics, uh, which was developed by Ludwig uh, von Mises in the, in the 20th century and his student, Professor Hayek, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1974, and uh, Murray Rothbard, um, uh, who taught at the uh, University of uh, Nevada at Las Vegas for many years, uh, a born and bred New Yorker, and other economists who wrote these wonderful essays and books uh, throughout the early uh, 21st century explaining why uh, these bubbles uh, are occurring. And so I incorporated this in the book. And in the postscript, which I wrote earlier this year, I discussed uh, Will, uh, Fed Chairman Powell, who, uh, who Trump is criticizing for not lowering interest rates to one to zero, um, would he cave in to Trump? And apparently he's caving in to Trump by lowering interest rates when uh, this is what's caused the bubbles in the past uh, by, by flooding the economy with money to, to, um, to inflate asset values across the board. One, one thing I want to note is you're in agreement with the Democrats today. <laughs> well, the Democrats, uh, the Democrats support the Fed when the Fed is inflating when Obama was in office. And when um, and when Clinton was in office, remember the dot com bubble started under Clinton, um, and mm-hmm. Greenspan was ch- uh, chairman under uh, uh, in eighty seven, and he um, and he served for nineteen years and finished in two thousand six. So uh, the Democrats and Republicans both love bubbles because it makes the economy look better than it really is, and these these are, these are like steroids; they just pump you up. Uh, as, um, as as we've seen with uh, weightlifter, weightlifters and other people that use steroids. And so the, these are very destructive policies because it looks like there's prosperity occurring, but it's a temporary phenomenon. And uh, when the uh, bust occurs, like you did in 2007 and 2008 and 2009, there's a lot of pain involved, uh, people who extended themselves in the, in the housing sector and uh, companies that overexpanded in uh, commercial real estate. And you get a, a downdraft in stock prices and uh, commercial real estate and uh, residential real estate. And uh, those, uh, everyone who was listening uh, lived through this, and uh, they saw what the terrible damage was. And so uh, the point is, if you want to prevent a bust, you have to prevent the bubble. And that means not printing money and not manipulating interest rates, which is the conventional wisdom out there in, at, in the Federal Reserve and in the economics profession that you need to keep on shoveling money into the banking system, uh, uh, which would lower rates, and therefore that would, uh, quote, stimulate the economy. The truth of the matter is the economy doesn't need stimulation. It just needs freedom. It needs um, uh, entrepreneurs to uh, get the savings from investors and uh, do what they do best, which is figure out what consumer demand is and um, uh, create production that's going to meet consumer demand. And so this is what I've been studying for the past 50 years, and I wrote this book uh, in order to, uh, to explain to the American people why uh, we have these bubbles and why the Federal Reserve uh, is uh, basically uh, uh, counterproductive and uh, harmful to the average working stiff in America. 
Uh, and so at this point in our history, uh, we should really have a full-fledged, honest, civil uh, debate about uh, whether the Fed is necessary, let alone uh, uh, doing what it's doing, which is manipulating interest rates. And by the way, Ben Bernanke, in uh, one of his uh, appearances before the Congress, uh, stated that we manipulate interest rates. And we know, Bill, that if a private uh, company uh, manipulated prices, uh, they would be uh, subject to government investigation. But the Federal Reserve uh, uh, has the power and the authority to do so, which is more harmful than any company trying to manipulate interest rates. Let me ask you, because one of the things that came up today uh, was in, uh, there was a, a mention that there's $17 trillion worth of U.S. securities, pensions, savings. I, you're going to have to tell me what ETS is. And uh, basically, they're talking about buying up more debt. Uh, or new debt. First of all, tell me what ETS is. <laughs> you know, uh, well, ETF, uh, ETF, like in Frank, that's an exchange traded fund. That's basically uh, uh, a, mutual, a mutual fund that's traded like a stock. In other words, their prices adjust during the trading day from 9:30 in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, these were created, I guess, in the 1990s. And now there are thousands and thousands of uh, ETFs. Uh, you have the the biggest one is the uh, the ETF that uh, mirrors the S&P 500 has 500 stocks in it. So you're basically buying the uh, the most popular stocks in the stock market. So uh, you can do that, and uh, basically by buying the market, uh, your your the value of your uh, that ETF goes up and down with the market, and uh, over the long term it tends to go up. So uh, I wrote an article, Bill, uh, nearly 40 years ago in 1980. When the Monetary Control Act was passed during the Carter administration, which mm-hmm. authorized the Federal Reserve to buy any asset it wants to uh, as part of their uh, policy. And so I called up the Fed um, in 1981-82 to ask them about it, and they said, no, they just put that in there for emergency purposes. So basically what the Fed can do is they can buy up stocks, uh, which they, uh, they don't have – well, now they have the authorization because of the Monetary Control Act of 1980 – and so if things really hit the fan down the road, it's possible, like the Japanese central bank has done, is by going to the marketplace and buy common stocks to prop up the stock market. And that would be very dangerous because mm-hmm. it would give the Federal Reserve more control over the U.S. economy. So we're in a bad place, yeah. Bill. I mean, right now it looks like the economy is doing well. Uh, the stores are, uh, are full of goods. Uh, gasoline is plentiful. Uh, there are no brownouts or blackouts of, of with utilities. Uh, everything looks good on the surface, but underneath but the surface, one, like Marie, there's one thing that I see. I wrote a piece last night on competitiveness. Uh, I know you might disagree with me, but in some sense, uh, people yell at me, but uh, we're making we're not making anything anymore. We're not making high, uh, you know, high valued products. And how can a country? Can a country survive on just finance, or does it uh, need to have a manufacturing policy of, of high levels? Well, manufacturing has declined in the United States for the past 40, 50, 60 years. I I mean, know. It's, been on, it's been on a slow decline, but what's prompting a lot of offshoring, that's what basically you're talking about, a lot of manufacturing is going offshore because of the Federal Reserve's policies of driving up prices and costs in the United States. So it's cheaper for manufacturers to go overseas where you have low-cost uh, uh, countries like China and India and Vietnam 
Indonesia, uh, Thailand, uh, uh, East Europe, uh, Latin America. So the Fed is partly responsible for a lot of companies relocating overseas. So this is why the Fed is so counterproductive. It distorts the structure of production in the United States. It uh, raises prices. It uh, manipulates interest rates, causing these bubbles. And uh, there's nothing worthwhile or or, uh, valuable that the Fed does except clear checks for us. And, uh, yes, it it regulates banks, but um, uh, banking is a separate discussion because banks are accidents waiting to happen because uh, banks, what do they do? They take money in and deposits. Those are short-term deposits. And they make loans, which are long-term liabilities of, of uh, I'm sorry, uh, they take in short-term uh, deposits, which are short-term liabilities, but they have long-term assets, which are mortgages and loans. And so you have a mismatch between uh, the uh, assets and liabilities. And this has been going on since the beginning of banking uh, for the past four or 500 years. That's why we've had banking panic throughout American history, uh, because banks were, before the Federal Reserve was created was printing up money. And when people got nervous um, uh, about the solvency of a bank, they'd go in and, and try to cash in their paper money for gold, which is what backed up the paper money. In other words, paper money is not really money. It's a money substitute. It's, it's a claim on the real stuff, which is gold or silver, and historically it's been gold. And so this is why uh, the banking system is, um, is, is a problem, and that's why the Federal Reserve was created, is to help bail out the bankers. Um, when it was created in 1913, but they failed because we had banking failures um, from 1929 to 1932. 9,000 banks failed in the United States, and that's when Roosevelt came in after he was elected and gave us FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance, to uh, bail out the banks and their customers so, uh, so the customers would not have to run on the banks. So we really never had a bank run since 1933 when FDIC was created. But what they've done instead is they've inflated the supply of money and credit, and so that's why a house, which used to be twenty, thirty thousand dollars, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, is now five hundred thousand dollars, and automobiles that used to be two thousand dollars are now thirty, forty thousand dollars. Now, obviously, automobiles are a lot better, and uh, house, housing have, has gotten larger. But look at a postage stamp. I remember Bill when postage stamps, first class stamps were three cents. Now they were close to fifty cents. But it's still the same survey. And uh, that's a good example of how inflation takes hold in an economy. We have something as basic as something that we use uh, uh, frequently. Of course, we're now using less stamps because we have e-commerce and online banking and so on and so forth and uh, email. And so we don't use as much uh, first-class mail as we did in the past. But still, uh, that's a good example of inflation. If you can understand a a postage stamp uh, or – Sending a mail, sending a piece of mail through the post office from point A to point B used to cost three cents. Now it costs forty-five or fifty cents. So uh, this is an example of um, uh, in- inflation, price, monetary inflation, lifting up prices. The same thing with tuition and health care. I remember a doctor's visit in the 1950s used to be five dollars. Now it could be You're anywhere right. from a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars. Tuition, I remember in the 1960s, Harvard used to be three thousand dollars a year. Now it's well fifty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> so, so these are all examples of how um, uh, cheap money, uh, in other words, easy money, because of the Fed's uh, printing of money, uh, not literally, but they uh, have what we all wish we had an unlimited checking account. And I explain this all in the book. That's why I think the book is very important 
for the American people. Well, I, I, I want you to give the title of the book. I, I Murray, I, I tried to order it. I was in Barnes and Noble, but I did order it. I ordered it through Amazon. Uh, right. I'm, I'm waiting to get it. I want to ask you. I want you to talk about that book quickly. Um, we we have we two more minutes. Uh, we have maybe okay. two more minutes. I I put a link to the book, to your Wikipedia entry, and to your Facebook page, uh, so folks uh, uh, listening to the show can uh, explore uh, further. And this is a fascinating topic. So continue, sir. Well, the thing is, my yeah. my uh, blog, MurraySabrin dot com, has. Uh, uh, a cover of the book. It has two podcasts that I did about the book, and it also has a letter that I wrote to the New York Times in 1976 that uh, could be written today because it says the same thing about the Federal Reserve and why the Federal Reserve is harmful to the economy. So that's on my blog, murraysabrin.com, and the book, Why the, uh, the Federal Reserve Sucks, has a wonderful endorsement by Ron Paul <laughs> on the back cover, which people can read. I mean, Ron Paul was uh, one of the giants in the United States Congress warning about yes, the Federal Reserve uh, for, for 40 years when uh, he was on and off in the Congress since 1976. And uh, he gave the book a wonderful endorsement, and I'm very proud of that. I've known the, the former congressman for uh, 30 years, and uh, actually 35 years, 36 years. And uh, he's been fighting a good fight to warn the American people about the uh, uh, destabilizing policies of the Federal Reserve. And this book, I think, puts it together in layman's terms so they can understand it. And I've been uh, receiving compliments from people who are not academics or economists, but just the average working folks who say the book explains things very clearly and, and concisely, and it gives people a good understanding of uh, why these bubbles occur. And uh, 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 thanks for the opportunity to explain to your uh, listeners that uh, uh, if, if enough people read this book, maybe they'll demand that the people in Congress and the White House will uh, start to be, uh, be serious and have a, we, uh, an honest discussion. Maybe we need to I, take politics out of this. Uh, can, can I get, ask him one quick question, Hercules? Uh, sure, we have three minutes. Okay. What are you going to do now? You, you're, not, you're not going to teach anymore. Are you going to lecture well, places? Be, or what? Well, I'll, uh, my, uh, I'll be retiring at the end of June of 2020, so I have another year left in the classroom. And I'm working on another book on medical care, which is, of course, the big hot topic for the election year next mm -hmm. year. That'll be the, on, on the front burner. So I'm hoping to have that thing done very soon and published next year. And then I have an idea for another book to write next year and, uh, and get on the speaking circuit and explain why this big government that we have, at not only at home but abroad with a, a, a huge welfare state and a huge military-industrial complex, uh, with a huge debt uh, that doesn't end well, we, we have to restructure our economy sooner than later because the, the, uh, the longer we wait, the more painful it will be for the restructuring. And this doesn't have to be painful. Uh, it could be done uh, over the next several years to uh, bring back the principles of free enterprise, which have been subsumed by the, uh, by the welfare warfare state, as uh, the late Murray Rothbard used to write about uh, for decades uh, from the 50s to uh, the 90s when he passed away. And so, again, uh, this is not a, a political issue. This is a fundamental philosophical issue and an economic issue. Um, uh, people just don't understand what's going on, and that's why I wrote the book, Why the Federal Reserve Sucks. And if enough people read it, um, we, we will have, I think, uh, the, the catalyst for saying, hey, 
do we really need this institution that has given us so much pain uh, in the past when what we should be relying on is the uh, is the entrepreneurs, the men and women that create great companies and provide wonderful goods and services to the American people. That's what we need more of. We need more capital invested and uh, we uh, and uh, more competitiveness and uh, uh, and less uh, manipulation of the economy through the Federal Reserve and the federal government. I added Mary, a link thank to uh, your website so folks can check that out as well. I appreciate it, Hercules. I, uh, it's a, this is a great opportunity, and I really appreciate your time because, uh, again, there's so much misinformation about the U.S. economy and um, and the Federal Reserve. And uh, in my financial history class on Tuesday, yesterday, we had a wonderful discussion about the economy. And I uh, basically showed students how socialism cannot work. And I wish I taped it because it was uh, one of my best lectures I've ever given. <laughs> well, we'll get you on again so you could talk about it here. And this is recorded, and you can edit it and put it on your site. How about that? I appreciate it, Hercules. I, uh, 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 this presentation I gave is based upon a wonderful little monograph that people can read uh, uh, free online. It's called I Pencil by Leonard Reed, R-E-A-D, the founder of the Foundation for Economic Education. And in that little pamphlet, he, uh, he lays out the principles of free enterprise. And using that, I, I explained to students, uh, given the principles of free enterprise, why socialism is unworkable. It's not a, 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 a viable economic system. Well, thank you very much. And uh, to both of you, Bill, uh, you get excellent guests. And uh, Murray, you've been a phen phenomenally great guest. And thanks to all who've been listening to us uh, from home. Uh, until, this, uh, until next time, this is Hercules wishing you all joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.